Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ, and today I'm talking with Dr. Amit Goswami. Theoretical quantum physicist, Dr. Amit Goswami is a revolutionary amongst a growing body of renegade scientists who in recent years has ventured into the domain of the spiritual. Amit is a retired professor, a prolific writer, teacher and visionary, and he's a pioneer of the new paradigm of science called Science Within Consciousness, an idea that he explained in his groundbreaking book, The Self-Aware Universe. He's the author of Quantum Creativity, The Quantum Doctor, Physics of the Soul, Quantum Economics, and there's a load more as well. And there's films, there's documentaries, there's absolutely loads and loads and loads of stuff he's done. Way too much to mention in this intro. Uh, and through his work, he's demonstrated how science and spirituality can be integrated and connected. Amit, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm delighted uh, you have such good energy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, back in 1973, you attended a nuclear physics conference. You were like doing really well in your field. You were a top academic, but something happened that day that sort of changed the direction of your life, didn't it? Yes, yes. Um, I was invited as a lecturer, uh, so I gave my talk, uh, my spiel. But uh, of course. Uh, other speakers were presenting, and I thought that they are presenting better than me. Somehow it became an obsession. I was feeling jealous and jealous and jealous of everything that was happening because I was not getting enough attention. Others were getting all the attention, that kind of feeling. And it went on, um, not only during the day uh, at the conference, but also at a party at night. And uh, so at uh, like one o'clock in the morning, I become aware that I have exhausted all the antacid tablets I used to carry in those days because, you know, this is not an isolated incident. So, but this particular night, I uh, really got disgusted with myself and went outside. And the conference was taking place uh, on a uh, bay area, uh, the Monterey Bay. And the ocean air uh, hit my face and a thought came so unexpectedly, thought was, why do I live this way? And I knew, I knew intuitively immediately that I don't have to. I can integrate my life at home with my life at work, and that integration is what I came here to do. And so that kind of was a big sort of shift. From then onwards, like everything changed. You changed the focus and of what was important to you. Yes, everything changed. A theme that came up when, um, I mean, I, I mentioned it there in the intro, but um, in a lot of your work and um, in like the documentary, The Quantum Activist, which is about, um, about yeah, a lot of your theories, it was, we've brought, been brought up in a world based on materialistic science, haven't we? And what do we mean by materialistic science? Well, this is the idea that, uh, you know, it's the simplest version of trying to understand everything. If we assume that everything is made of matter, um, and everything is material phenomenon caused by material interaction, then we can deal with it mathematically, most things. I mean, we still cannot do mathematics for very complicated stuff, but most things we can do some mathematics. And, and mathematics is a good form of logic, so uh, people become attached to that very simplified approach. Obviously, any person of any intelligence should realize that this is too simple to be true, and it isn't, because it gives us a mechanical picture of human beings, and obviously, if we are mechanical, we would not be doing what we are doing. 
right now. So it, it's so obvious that I, I absolutely cringe that our greatest of scientists today go along with this kind of thing, this kind of idea that we are zombies, that we are, we have our, our thoughts and ideas never really make any sense, or we don't have any causal power. And it's just so ridiculous on the face of what human civilization is about. But you know, people do that. People do that because they get attached to a, a way of thinking. Just like in the olden days, we become attached to the religious way of thinking. It makes sense to say that, well, God does everything. Nothing else is needed. Today's matter does everything. Nothing else is needed. So that, this idea of building blocks where it doesn't matter what the thing is, you can take it down to sort of atoms, molecules, or whatever, and you build it up to... Um, to cells and then those cells are little mini building blocks which build up your, to your brain but it doesn't matter how big or how small you go you're basically looking at in the materialistic viewpoint of the world you can break it down just to little things and whether it's a small thing or a big thing it's you're breaking it down to physical matter that's that's the materialistic yes. okay gotcha so yes so, I've, sorry after there are so many ways of like you know different scientists themselves at different stages this is the absolute truth according to the physicists, right? All, all cause comes from elementary particles. But tell that to a biologist. No, biologists immediately know, well, that's not such a very great assumption because it's very hard to uh, rationalize that elementary particles don't know anything about life. So they frame the determinism in a little different way. They say it's the genes that do it. Of course, according to physicists, genes are made up of a particles, you see. So nothing new is being added by the, using the word genes at this stage. But biologists love to do that because that, that immediately introduces the mistake. That, well, genes, of course, are there for all living objects and therefore living objects are also determined, but not by elementary particles, by genes, which know better. So, you know, and then this, uh, when you come to neuroscientists, then they say, they talk about the brain as if brain has any causal power. Brain doesn't. It's coming all from the elementary particles. See, imagine electrons and quarks, this little teeny teeny, teeny, teeny objects that we imagine everything is made up, they uh, having potentially all the aspirations, all the causal power, all the free willing, willing and dealing that we do, everything, the arts, the sciences, the uh, spiritual, uh, all our aspirations, uh, creativity, everything is contained in those behavior of the electrons and quarks. Imagine the audacity of assumption here, <laughs> but this is what people are doing. I heard, there's an interesting quote which kind of explained that, which was, um, which he said, so with this idea of the materialistic view, like you get up to the brain and then you think, if you get rid of the brain, it, the brain makes consciousness. But you're actually saying consciousness is not made of the brain, but the brain is made of consciousness. Quantum physics flips the whole thing on its head. Is that right? Flips the whole thing on its head and then we can do science in a sensible way. We introduce both material objects and also, of course, subtle objects and spirituality itself, all in equal footing. Matter is not neglected by the, but as the religious traditions did. Matter is not neglected in the new view. Quantum view allows us truly to integrate the material and the spiritual. This is the great thing about it. And that's why the, you know, I'm very hopeful that the polarization that I had in my own psyche 
uh, got integrated and the same integration can take place between science and spirituality at large in, in our society itself. But the scientists have to come forward and accept the quantum worldview first. That's the first step. The, in the second step, I think the, the religions, uh, when they see that spirituality is not excluded, the religions will also start integrating and the combination will be dynamite. The world will change. So it's not, yeah, I think that's interesting because it's not saying, when, when you're, you're suddenly promoting consciousness, you're not suddenly neglecting and saying the whole materialistic thing is wrong. You think there's this integration where actually both of them actually have their place. Right. The, you have to really, really understand that materialists, uh, what the materialists say could not be completely wrong because obviously we all enjoy uh, technology on the basis of materialist science. I mean, we, 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 we want uh, some of that benefit. I mean, the, the fact is that, well, I just said something uh, detrimental to the idea that genes are everything or elementary particles are everything. But I do appreciate having computers. I do appreciate having a motor car. I do appreciate even um, knowing the genes for some of the diseases that I can then prevent uh, because my genes are programmed in such a way that they give increased probability for me to contract some diseases so I can do something about it. So this kind of knowledge is really helping us. So this is why the religious traditions make a very big mistake when they object to things like evolution itself. I mean, okay, the materialist theory, Darwin's theory is not correct for evolution. That's not the entire story. But to throw away evolution itself or throw away entire idea of Darwinism is where they go wrong. That's going way overboard. We kind of um, touched on a few of the things there, but like, what kind of brought you, a theoretical physicist, to your conclusions that the spiritual dimensions do exist? Well, um, it, it's, it's quite simple. You already started the discussion, so I'll end it. So elementary particles go all the way of molecules, neurons, and the brain, right? And then you ask, okay, so here's the brain. But in quantum description, everything, starting with elementary particles all the way to the brain, all are possibilities. They are waves of possibility. And this is the crucial concept. If there are waves of possibility, then look at the situation. All we have is possible consciousness, possible brain. We don't really have any actuality. So how does actual experiences come? What does it? It is a fact that when an observer looks, we do have actual experiences. You are having an actual experience now, hear me talking, I'm having an actual experience now, looking at you uh, on the Skype. So these are actual experiences, we cannot deny this. I'm not seeing possibility of you, I'm not seeing a possible image you look, looking back at me, I'm seeing you, an actual you somewhere there and the image is being constructed by all this technology and that's what I'm seeing. But it's you. There is a real experience of you. So where does actuality come from? Because quantum physics, the mathematics that scientists adore, the very mathematics is telling us, no, this possibility is the reality. If everything is matter, we could never have converted possibility into actuality. Von Neumann proved this as a mathematical theorem, fundamental in quantum physics. If we stay within quantum physics, we cannot, staying within material interactions, 
ever convert possibility into actuality. So it has to be something non-material interacting with matter. And it has to be paradox-free. So the position that only paradox-free position is consciousness is everything. Consciousness is the ground of being. Material possibility are possibilities within consciousness, and consciousness chooses among these possibilities to find the actual event of experience to collapse the actual event of experience. So in this way, quantum physics becomes sensible, quantum physics becomes connectable to our experimental data, our experience, and this is the only interpretation of quantum physics that is paradox-free. Yeah, with the, with the old mindset and the old viewpoint, then there was all these paradoxes and all these things which didn't add up and didn't make sense. But when you change your mindset from a materialist one to a consciousness view of the world, then suddenly all these old problems, which it, it, it fits within this new mindset. Actually, a lot of these things aren't now deal breakers. They actually have a place and they actually, it, it makes sense. Yes, that's right. You received a, a, a pretty interesting phone call from um, a Mexican neurophysiologist, didn't you? Who had some fascinating data findings. Yeah. Could you could you could you explain exactly what that conversation was about and and yeah and, and just what what these studies showed? Oh no, oh, this is a delightful personality. Uh, he's not alive anymore, I think. Uh, so, uh, Jacobo Greenberg, his name is just wonderful man. Uh, this neurophysiologist, um, he was one of the few who uh, read my uh, paper in a physics journal. I mean, imagine neurophysiologist reading a paper in a physics journal. That's already a very peculiar thing. So he calls me up and he says, well, I, I have some very good experiments to show you. Why don't you fly up to uh, University of Mexico? So I did. And indeed, he had this experiment, which is now called transfer potential experiment, which has been verified like two dozen laboratories in the world. So there's no question this phenomenon occurs and it will blow your mind. And you already know about it, but it will blow the mind of anybody who is attending our show. Yeah. So um, two people meditate together first with the intention that they will have direct communication. What that means is that communication without signal. For in quantum physics, we call it non-local communication. Communication without any energy or signal exchange between the two people. So how do you ensure that? Well, it's quite simple. After, while they meditate, you uh, sit them in separate Faraday cages. These are electromagnetically impervious chambers. So one person is sitting in a chamber like that over there. Another person is sitting over here. Another chamber like some 46 meters away. There's no way that electromagnetic signals from one place can go into the other place. One brain goes into the other brain. So they're and both now, separated. They're both meditating. They can't see each other. They're not in the. They can't. Yeah, they can't communicate. And they Yeah, they both got that intention to. Gotcha. Okay, and now their brains are connected to individual electroencephalogram apparatuses. This is the key. One person now is shown a series of light flashes. Light flashes cause brain activity, of course, electrical activity in the brain, measured by the EEG machines, the other subject doesn't see any light flashes whatsoever. But still, brain will have something, some electrical activity, 
quiescent electrical activity will go on. And that's what you expect to see in the other EEG. This EEG very active, lots of activity in the brain. This EEG expected not to have any activity because nothing is going on, right? It's not seeing anything. But in actuality, what happens is that not only this EEG has activity, but that EEG also has not only activity, but activities which are virtually the same in both strength and phase. Even the phase agrees remarkably of the brain curves of both EEGs. If you take control subjects, people who don't meditate together don't have the intention that they will be instantly connected without signals. Those people, if you do experiment with them, exactly as you would expect. No transfer potential. Nothing to speak of except brain noise. There's a little bit of that, but nothing special. As soon as they meditate and have the intention, immediately this transfer potential starts showing up in the EEG. Because what was interesting is because I heard um, I heard that being explained on your documentary, and I had a had sort of a graph to illustrate it. So, um, so yeah, like like you said, like imagine one person they had the lights flashing, and on the graph it was up, down, up, down, and then the person with no lights flashing, no any sensory things, on their graph it was it matched it identically, even though there was no light, there was no sensory. And so just, yeah, seeing it mapped out on their graph, it was like, how do you explain that? It's like a brain-to-brain transfer of thoughts <laughs> or something. It's crazy. Without a practical going from one brain to the other. I mean, it, it, it's brain electromagnetic field. It, it just goes a little bit outside and that's it. You cannot detect it anyway. I mean, if you think of brain electromagnetic waves going through the air, I mean, you'll be looking at nothing anyway. But they did take the precaution of, putting them in, in Faraday chambers so that, uh, you know, there is no loophole in the experiment that scientists could object to. And still, there is transfer of electro- electrical activity from one brain to the other without any electrical connection. To explain that, you have to posit that something is doing the transfer. What is there? Well, think about consciousness doing it, because experience of light flashes is nothing that is new to a brain. And there are the possibilities there for any brain to see light flashes. So consciousness chooses out of those possibilities that particular experience which will match the first observer because they are correlated by their intention. So in this way, uh, you, you see two things. You see that, okay, consciousness has the causal power of choosing. And you see the other thing also, that by intention, we can connect to that causal power. We become privileged for the use of that causal power. And so uh, meditation, making intentions, these things that spiritual traditions talk about for millennia, all of a sudden start making sense. Oh, prayer is just intention setting. This is why we pray, because we become attuned to that intention. Of course, uh, it's consciousness, the whole consciousness doing it. It's not like my individual ego doing it. But by praying, we uh, synchronize our intention with the intention of the whole. And this is why prayer works. Is it even more powerful with this 
when there's um, the sense of community along with it. So if there's lots of people praying together or lots of people meditating together, is that is that intention amplified? Is it magnified? So is, is that even more powerful? Yes. Yes, this is uh, this is also experimentally verified. There was a uh, parapsychologist, really not not nothing para about him. He's a regular scientist of the highest caliber, Dean Radden. Uh, he himself did the potential experiment also. He replicated it. Um, so he he takes random number generators from uh, places to places. He takes them to corporate boardroom where you have people competing with each other and that kind of situation. He takes them to football field where people are watching a game, very coherent in their intention. You know, everybody wants to want their team to win. He also takes them to meditation halls where people are just meditating. And guess what? In the corporate bedroom, these random number generators generate numbers which are totally random. Nothing happens to the randomness because these people themselves are random in their intention. But as soon as they bring it to the football field or to the meditation hall, the random number generators no longer generate numbers that are random. How can random number generator generate non-random numbers? Only because consciousness is present. Consciousness has choice. Opposite of randomness is choice. So consciousness is choosing to be coherent, just like in the intention experiment of these two observers. Consciousness is choosing that their brain potentials be identical. Similarly here, consciousness is choosing that their brains process in a similar fashion. And this is why there is so much synchrony. And that's why so much choice shows up in the random number generator behavior. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. So that... That everyone intending, like, we want team what, A to win. Say everyone was giving that, everyone was giving their intention, everyone was like, you know, all their intention was into it. That would actually have, uh, that would have, in the, in the material world, that would actually have a physical effect. That, that clear intention would actually make a difference. Well, I'm not going to suggest that the intention of the football player. Uh, <laughs> But the, but the, but the, but the, you see the effect on the on their brain anyway. That there is a coherence of their intention. Of course, don't forget the intention of the players count much more. Okay. But ultimately, it's the if Manchester United can, can <laughs> better than the opponent. I was having, I suddenly had ideas there. <laughs> okay, so it's the fact that with an, a random generator because it's. Um, um, like if you know, on like the rolling of a dice or like something which is like non-material, because yeah, because that you're actually trying to influence things which already have their own influence of themselves. Okay, that was a bad example. So but with the nat- random generator, with like rolling of a dice, with like um, like a slot machine, is, does this tie in with um, psychokinesis? It does actually, and and you know, so long as you're talking about like small dice. Uh, indeed, we can show mathematically that indeed there is enough quantum uncertainty in the movement of the dice to affect its direction by uh, psychic uh, intention. So that's what the psychic does. Um, but of course, there are much more claims than that in psychokinesis. For example, large-scale psychokinesis. Uh, you know, this uh, phenomenon that are called uh, poltergeist and stuff like that. 
that is hard to explain on the basis of any mathematics that we can do. So there are still mysteries in paranormal phenomena that uh, that I don't think we can explain quite yet. Yeah. yeah. Sort of saying that, well, this is like miracles, which I do say sometimes. Because, you know, if consciousness is the ground of being, like the spiritual traditions say, then miracles should be possible. But I don't like using the word miracle very much because, you know, then scientists will say, oh, well, now you are saying God does it. <laughs> it's true, in a way. Um, and we should not invoke that kind of thing too often. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> um, you believe that every human being has creative potential. What do you mean by do be, do be, do? Well, creativity is another wonderful mystery that has been solved by quantum physics, quantum physics approach. So usually we think, because creative act is an act, certainly, and you are creating a, a piece of music, you are creating a scientific law, you are creating uh, an architecture. So there is action involved, no doubt about it. But it is a fact that when researchers study the intensely creative people, what they find is not that um, maniac who works, works, works all the time. Uh, those people are not the most creative people. The most creative people, if you take Einstein, Picasso, and this kind of people have been studied the most, and, and it is found that these guys don't work all the time. They're not crazy about working all the time. They actually have a lot of relaxed time. So people became very curious. Um, for a long time, the psychological explanation was given and that was accepted, which is that when you are relaxing, your unconscious is processing what is going on. But of course, what is unconscious and how unconscious can process it, these are anathema to materialist thinking. So for a long time, there was no explanation because you are looking at it looking at the unconscious itself with tremendous skepticism. Quantum physics removes the uh, bugaboo against all the uh, different of opinion against the unconscious. Quantum physics says, well, there is conscious, but there is also the domain of potentiality, and that's our unconscious. As soon as you realize that, that quantum gives people two levels for processing. One is the conscious level, where indeed we work, 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 and often get nowhere. But then, if we stop working, what happens? All those things that we're thinking now become possibilities. Possibilities for consciousness to choose from. And if we allow these possibilities, what happens? Remember I told you, they also have waves of possibility. And wave always expands when you are allow them to expand. So if you rest a while, not do the problem all the time, what happens is that in between your thinking, the possibilities will expand and expand, become, becoming bigger and bigger pools of possibilities for you to choose from. And this is where consciousness will find the gestalt of all the possibilities that, that gives you the solution to the problem that you are worrying about. But if you think about it, if you, if you relax all the time, you have bigger pool of possibility to choose from, but you may lose focus quickly. So the best strategy is to combine the do and be, keep the focus, do, and then relax, let the possibility pool expand, and again bring the focus back, do for a while, and then again let the possibility pool expand. So do we, do we, do. That's how it works. <laughs> 
And our last but not least, a couple of speed round questions just to finish off. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? Well, um, I'm a believer in archetypal activism. It's the archetypes, love, beauty, justice, truth, um, wholeness, self, abundance. These are the archetypes that make our life worthwhile. So what is a fulfilled um, person? A fulfilled person one who is one who has found some of the archetypes and embodied them, at least to some extent. That's a fulfilled person. Uh, this is why the creative people are always, uh, you know, they're satisfied. They, they may be unhappy, but they're satisfied. They're satisfied because when you do that, when you find the archetype and embody them in your life or uh, produce a lot of products based on the archetypes, uh, then the satisfaction level is really quite great. You feel satisfied. What is one thing uh, our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their lives? Well, we, we already touched it thanks to your question. Do we, do we, do? That's the one big thing that people can practice. For Westerners, this relaxing, learn to be with yourself, is absolutely wonderful advice because the Western culture, we have become very hurried people. Too much fat, fast, fast, wimpy burgers. Instead, we should, we should concentrate on slow food like in Italy. You go from London to Italy, immediately you find it's not so fast. The culture is slower. It helps to have a slower culture. So uh, it makes you more creative. So I think future of humanity is finding a balance between doing and being. And as we learn to do that, do we, do we, do, everyone will start accessing creativity. And when that happens on a mass scale, uh, will find the remedy for these negative emotions I was talking about. We'll easily make positive emotional brain circuit to balance our negativity so that the world can change. And are there any books or resources which have changed or had a big impact on you? Well, of course, there are a lot of, lot of these things. You know, I call them synchronicities. I call Jung called them synchronicities, and I am an avid follower of wherever synchronicities are going, I become quite sensitive to it. And uh, I follow those synchronicities and, and that's how I find uh, new directions of research. And, uh, and that's how I, by the way, I came to, you know, you mentioned quantum economics. What does a physicist do with economics? It's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing that I get into these projects in a completely unforeseen way. I could not imagine myself worrying about economics, but a series of events took place which uh, got my attention in that direction. <laughs> so that way, these events play a very big role in my life. And last but not least, how can people stay in touch or find out more about you? Oh, very easy. I have a website, amitgoswami.org, A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I.org. Amit, thank you so, so much for talking to me day, today. It's been, it's been incredible. Really, really interesting. Still getting my head around a lot of these concepts, but I think I'm getting closer. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and we were talking a bit about quantum physics. And so um, that's why I've been so excited to get, get you on the main man behind it. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for talking to me today. You are so welcome. Thank you. <laughs>